SBI show. Hello, everybody. I'm Ivisco Larsep. It is Wednesday morning, and we have a lot to catch up on. Apologies for not having the Monday show. I, I believe I told everybody that they could tackle me if I didn't get a Monday show, and I didn't get it. So I'll be I'll be looking out for people in the streets. See, so he wants to tackle me. Fully understood. Fully accepted. My fault, but I'm here now. And there's plenty to catch up on. U.S. men's national team is in the Gold Cup semifinals. U.S. women's national team is in the Olympic quarterfinals. We have MLS. We even have a trade to talk about in MLS. Those happen still. Some Americans abroad news. Not all of it great, unfortunately. But we'll get we'll get on all of that. And we'll we'll kick things off. We'll start things off, obviously, talking about the U.S. men, U.S. men's national team. They defeated Jamaica. In the Gold Cup quarterfinals. And yes, for the 11th consecutive Gold Cup. The Americans win in the quarterfinals. And I know it's interesting. Some people were just like, nah, that's not a big deal. It's it's cock a calf. You're supposed to do it. But listen, 11 tournaments in a row. It's still it's still an accomplishment, you know. I mean, I you can easily get knocked off. And what was funniest for me was realizing that I was there the last time they didn't win, which was way back in two thousand. United States lost to Colombia penalty shootout down in Miami. I still remember. I think it was in the old Orange Bowl. Actually, it's my first Gold Cup. I still remember that trip. It's actually my first extended trip as a reporter, and I pitched it. I pitched the trip. Because it was, uh, if, I, if I remember correctly, MLS was holding preseason down there. All the teams, I think it was 10 teams maybe back then. All 10 teams in my in Fort Lauderdale playing at Lockhart Stadium, I believe. And you had the Gold Cup going on at the same time. And I, I still remember that. And it, you know how far back it was? Brad Friedel had hair. This is how far back this, is how far back this went. 2000, when my first chance to... Interview Bruce Arena. I remember that. That was one of the highlights of that that experience. And also Claudio Arena. My first chance to talk to him. First chance to talk to Tony Miola, I believe. Uh, and yeah, the U.S. lost to Colombia uh, in a penalty shootout. I think they. Made, I don't know if they. I, I don't know if they made any of the penalties. They might have made one. Uh, and it was a. It was a great experience. And that was 21 years ago. Where in the hell does the time go? Just reminds me how old I am. But anyway, back to the point. Back to the present day. Enough talking about the past. I'm sure some, at least a few people are listening like, man, I wasn't even alive in 2000. Yes, I know. I'm old. But anyway, U.S. Jamaica. The Americans beat Jamaica 1-0. It was a, it was, it was a tightly contested game. It was a tough game. It was the kind of game you, you would expect from Jamaica. They weren't going to lay down, make it easy. They weren't going to, you weren't going to blow out Jamaica. Andre Blake was going to see to that. And I, I believe I said it in the last episode, Andre Blake, man, he, he's going to make some big saves. And he did. And, it wasn't the perfect performance from the United States. It wasn't, uh, you know, flawless. 
wasn't a blowout, but it was a good win. And it was a good learning experience for some young players. Not, not everybody did well, but we can start talking about the players who did well against Jamaica. And you have to start with Matthew Hoppy. Now, he wasn't my pick for man of the match, but I want to start with him just because, you know, this team, this U.S. team hasn't lit up the scoreboard except for the one game against Martinique, which it's, look, it's Martinique. But Matthew Hoppy is an exciting player to watch because he makes things happen. He tries stuff as they as the old saying uh, it used to be about Clint Dempsey, right? He tries stuff and Hoppy tries. And, you know, there were there were moments there where he forced some things. There were moments there where he maybe tried to dribble through too many people in not great spots in the field. And that's that comes with that comes with inexperience that comes with you learn these things with time. He's still young. He's what is he, 20? But he showed some just some real exciting and interesting stuff in the attack going at people. And if not for Andre Blake, he might have had a few goals in this game. Blake made two sa- two good saves on Matthew Hoppy chances. And credit to Hoppy, he kept coming. And it was the last play before he was about to be subbed out. Hoppy scores a header. Great goal. The winning goal. And, I, and I'll say this. Hoppy, very promising performance, encouraging performance. Keep him in the lineup. Because he gives you something different and right now the attack hasn't really been generating a a ton of chances so you had the good of hoppy but then we can talk about the not good of daryl dk and it's a lot of the same things that i talked about last episode and why i thought jossie's artist would start against jamaica because daryl dk is not the finished product daryl dk has some things he needs to still develop and work on and improve exciting prospect no question he has he has some he has the tools to 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 Developing into a special player. Absolutely. But for right now, he's not there. And right now you have someone like Jossie's artist who has the, has that experience, who understands the system, puts himself in good spots, gives you great effort in terms of the, the defensive pressing, which is important. And it's not the flashiest thing. It's not the headline grabbing thing, but having a striker who's willing to put that work in that defensive work, it means something. It means a lot. And you saw him get into this game and make a difference. Anyone who watched the winning goal, who was that crashing into the area, taking the attention of of Andre Blake away from Matthew Hoppy, it was Jossie's artist. And look, at the end of the day, there are other, you know, when you look at all the strikers that are in the pool right now, Josh Sargent, Jordan Pifak, Jordan Sibichu, whatever you want to call him. I need to figure that. We need to figure this out, what the final say is on his name. But anyway, uh, you have, obviously, D, uh, Nicholas Giacchini, who's, who's with the team. You have Matthew Hoppy, who's been playing more as a wide forward. You've got a lot of forwards. A lot of young forwards. A lot of forwards who are, have not yet reached their ceilings in terms of development. And do I think you're going to see at least one or two, if not more, of those strikers past Jesse's artist when all is said and done in qualifying? Absolutely, I think that's going to happen. But right now, for this Gold Cup, this team, this roster, Jassy Zardes is your best striker option. And I know some people, I definitely saw some people point out and say, hey, wait a minute, what about Hoppy? Why don't you put Hoppy at striker? And I covered this last episode, and I'll, I'll reiterate it. Hoppy's, Hoppy's strengths are better suited to play as a wide forward in this system. He's not a hold-up striker. He's not a target striker. He's not someone who's going to bring, you bring others into the play and have his back to goal and, and kind of be prototypical target striker in this system. So no, he is not ideally suited 
to play in that striker role. Could he play it if he had if you need, had to, if you had to play him up there? Sure, but he wouldn't play it in that same way. And right now, he's looking pretty damn good playing wide. And you could argue, oh, he maybe play him, you know, if you play two forwards and play him underneath somebody, sure, you could you could possibly do that. But for right now, Jossie artist is your striker, and I think he's I think he's gonna start the rest of the way. And the last thing I'll say on Daryl Dike is that's <laughs> And I don't think this is even an issue. I don't. Th- I can't imagine people are going to write him off. And I'm sure a lot of the people who are on the DK bandwagon have have stayed on. And, he, and some of them are even kind of trying to spin what we've seen. I saw. I saw someone send a message to me somewhere. I can't remember now. It was SBI or Twitter. Uh, you know, pointing out that hey, DK wore down Jamaica. So Jamaica was. You know, he beat Jamaica up, and then the subs came in and finished the job. That's a little being a little generous, I would say there. I would say there because I don't think it had to do with DK beating up Jamaica and wearing them down. I, not at all. Sorry, don't go. I, I'm not buying that. But DK will be back. DK will have a part to play, and he's still so young. Think about that. Think about the fact that. Less than two years ago, he was playing college soccer. Less than two years ago. That's crazy. So he has so much more developing to do. Now, is he going to make a transfer move this summer? That remains to be seen. And no, the price tag is not $20 million. I've covered this a million times. In my opinion, $8 million gets it done. If somebody comes to Orlando and offers him $8 million, I'm sure they'd rather have $10 million. $10 million would absolutely get it done. But I think $8 million would get it done. $8 million would get it done. But... Right now, what's the market? Where's the interest for him right now? That's that's going to be what ultimately decides things because I think if he can make that kind of move and he can make a move to you know whether it's England you know make some make a move somewhere in Europe where he can play regularly, he can absolutely jump right back into the picture in the national team. Competition is fierce though at striker. Now you have Ricardo Pepe, who as of right now, you know, will he play for the U.S.? Will he play for Mexico? There's a lot of question marks there. But look, Ricardo Ricardo Pepe is on, is on fire right now, and you can start talking about him for the national team. But in, but that, that's something for later, later in the episode. But just talking about the team right now. Other performers who I thought did really well. Obviously, the dynamic duo at center back, Miles Robinson, James Sands. Robinson just continuing to boost his stock. And I'm sorry, right now, if you're asking me who's your, who, who is starting at center back against El Salvador in that first qualifier, I'm going John Brooks and Miles Robinson. Hands down. Right now. Robinson's defensive work is impeccable. He's been incredible defensively. It's just been, I mean, it's been a masterclass, really, the last couple of games. He's been, for me, for my money, Miles Robinson, man of the match, the last two matches for the U.S. So, for me, if you're playing a 4-3-3, you're going down to El Salvador, you play a 4-3-3, John Brooks and Miles Robinson. That's your two center backs in a 4-3-3. Now, if you go down there and you play a 5-3-2... Different story. Then you can definitely talk about James Sands because James Sands has been, he's been rock solid defensively and he's been outstanding with his passing and with his positioning and his movement. Like he, he has just shown the range. He has shown the quality that I think a lot of people were sleeping on. Honestly, a lot of people who don't follow MLS closely just didn't, they weren't up on it. They weren't up on the fact that here's James Sands, as young as he is, I think is he might is he 21 now? He might be 21 now, but he's young and he's been putting the years in. He's been putting the, he's gotten a ton of games at an early age, and this is despite dealing with some injury issues. He's had some injury issues in in over the years, unlucky injuries, you know, like broken arm, that kind of stuff. But he's been developing, honing his game, and now the passer that he is, I mean, 
if you think about the idea of playing a three center back setup with John Brooks, James Sands, and Miles Robinson, I mean, talk about I like I can't remember just even thinking about it, even though you can't put it together. It hasn't come together yet, but just that trio be pretty damn good in terms of passing the ball and also very good defensively. Now, I know there are other very good center back options. Chris Richards, top of that list. You have Mark McKenzie as well. Matt Miazga, who we at this point don't know where he's going to go, what he's going to do. He's playing preseason with Chelsea right now. I don't think he's not. I don't think he's going to stay at Chelsea. He's going to go somewhere. He's going to go on loan or they're going to sell him. But there's several good center back options. But I tell you what, Miles Robinson has catapulted himself to the top of that list of center backs to start next to John Brooks because John Brooks, his name is, you write John Brooks's name in pen in the U.S. men's national team lineup. There's a few players whose names you write in pen and who are the first names you write. His, for me, I'd argue his is the first name. Then from there, you can say Pulisic, you can say McKinney, Giorena, Tyler Adams, Serginio Dest. And then from there, it gets a little bit, it gets to be a little more complicated. But Miles Robinson, man, his stock... And I know there were people who were skeptical coming into the Gold Cup. I know that there were people who were like, oh, he plays in MLS. And I I covered this in past episodes, anyone who's listened to the last couple episodes. And I think it's pretty cool now that some people are actually willing to say, you know what? I was wrong. Miles Robinson is the real deal. Miles Robinson deserves the respect people have been giving him. And that's cool to see. I I love to see people be willing to have their opinions changed. And there's not enough of that these days. Nowadays, it's all about, I believe this, and I'll only pay attention to things that support that belief. I'm ignoring everything else. I want my opinion to be right eventually. Or I want to just, you know, absorb things that can keep allowing me to think that I'm right. Even if clear evidence shows that maybe I should reconsider my opinions. But that's, for me, that's healthy. I mean, I'll be the first to tell you, if I, you know, I can change my mind on somebody. I can, th- I can say, oh, you know what? I'm not sold on this guy. But if they bring it, if they play and they do their thing, I will say, hey, I was wrong. This guy is actually this good. Or this guy's not as good, as good as I thought he was. That's healthy. And that's not, you know, flip-flopping. That's not, cha- you know, that's not having, <laughs> you know, having a, a, an opinion that kind of just goes with the wind, you can change your mind and, and you should be willing to change your mind. It's kind of my point. But anyway, Kellen Acosta. How about this guy? Early in the Gold Cup, played up upfield. He played in more advanced role, playing as an eight. He had his ups and downs. Didn't dominate by any means. But against Jamaica, Greg Berhalter slides him back into the defensive midfield role. And he was everywhere. He was an absolute pit bull all over the field breaking up plays, and then trying to get into the attack as well, trying to spark the attack. It didn't always come off, but he was just, the amount of work this guy put in was huge in this game. And and it, it allowed other players to, you know, not, especially in the midfield, he, he really covered, he covered for a lot of a lot of his teammates there. And I think he just solidified his position as the number two defensive midf- midfield option behind Tyler Adams. That's your top two. Big drop off after that. Afraid to say. You have Adams and you have Acosta. And after that, you don't really have anyone that stands out to be the next guy. Busio, is he really a, a, 
in his DNA, is he really a defensive midfielder? No, he's not. He's nice on the ball. He can pick out a pass. He's showing so much. He has so much upside. It's great to see. But I tell you what, give, I'll give Greg Berhalter credit. He could have sat Busio when he decided to move Acosta into the defense midfield role. And that was that was the move to make because I guarantee you a lot of people would have just said, you know what, let's stick Busio in the six. But Berhalter knew better. He knew, you know what, I got to put my best defensive midfielder in that role to break things up. And that's what he did. But he kept Busio in the game, played him in a more advanced role. And it didn't start off so great. Let's be clear there. It was a little rough. It was a little rough going in the in the beginning. First 25, 30 minutes. Pretty much it was the opposite of the Canada game. Canada game, Busio, very good in the first 25 minutes. Faded badly. Really struggled in the second half. Against Jamaica, he struggled early. Turned the ball over left and right. He was really rattled. He looked really rattled to me. And I think part of that was Jamaica with their pressure, their athleticism. Their toughness and their their you know their bite their grit, but it was also and I know this will sound like it was a bit of an excuse, but I thought the field affected the Americans way more than than the Jamaicans. And you can call that an excuse, but when you watched a lot of the passes by the American players, particularly in the early going, the first twenty minutes, twenty five minutes, the amount of passes that would just die in, on this grass. It was, it was pretty, it was incredible to see it. And it was interesting because when you watch Jamaica, Jamaica, they dealt with it. They played through it. It's like they knew how to deal with that. It's like the Americans, you know, playing on the manicured practice fields for FC Dallas in their facility, impeccable grass services in FC Dallas. They got a little spoiled, and they go here, and you know they're playing at, at Arling, in Arlington, AT and T uh, Stadium, and th- that was a temporary grass field, terrible grass. Anytime you see those lines on a grass field, you know it's a temporary grass field, and that surface was terrible. The ball died, and when you're looking at the the team that the more creative team, the in theory the better passing team, the team that would want to keep the ball on the ground. They struggled with that. They, they, I don't know how many turnovers they committed by having passes die on that grass. And then you had the opposite effect where once they realized that, they start overhitting the ball. And they didn't, they didn't cope well with it, the American team. A lot of the American team. Not all of the American team, but a good number, particularly in the midfield. They didn't deal with the grass very well in the beginning. And that led to a ton of turnovers. Credit to Jamaica. They just got on with it. They just played through it. But Busio, I'll give him credit. Second half, he started to really kind of find the game. He even he even got stuck in. He you know he didn't back down. And I I like what I saw from Busio because you know what he didn't have a great game against Canada. And and Berhalter, Greg Berhalter could have very easily sat him, very easily sat him. So for Busio to to kind of shake off the Canada game, overcome the 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 poor start against Jamaica, and then really turn it on later in the first half and into the second half, that was good to see. That's the kind of growth you want to see from a young player. You want to see them rise to the occasion and show that, hey, look, I can do this. I can play at this level. And yes, I know this is Jamaica. This isn't, you know, you're not playing Belgium or France, but still. Physical team, tough team. They challenged Busio and I give him credit. He really stepped up, especially in the second half. Now, does that mean he's going to start against Qatar? That that's 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 a big question. That's a big question. And I kind of want to get into that because this will and just so you know this so I'm dropping this episode on Wednesday. The US plays Qatar on Thursday evening. 
So my plan is to have this be U.S. Jamaica recap and U.S. Qatar preview. So the next episode after this will drop Friday morning, knock on wood. If the U.S. wins, if the U.S. beats Qatar on Thursday, my plan is to fly it to Las Vegas on Friday morning and be there for the final in Las Vegas over the weekend. And uh, that Thursday night, I'll have an episode. The plan is to record an episode Thursday night, drop it before I leave for Vegas, and then just be ready to rock in Vegas. But, uh, you know, just looking back, as far as U.S. Jamaica overall, I think I covered the, the main points as far as who impressed me. And obviously, in terms of struggle, Paul Ariola did not have a good game. And you can definitely chalk some of that up to the fact that, look, he hadn't played since the first game, and he got hurt early in the first game. So he wasn't sharp. So now the question becomes, if you're Greg Berhalter, you gave Paul Ariola the armband. You made him your captain. So now, do you keep him in the lineup? Or do you do something different? Because, and I, d- I definitely want to touch on this, Christian Roldan, I thought, did very well off the bench. Obviously, he set up the winner. He had the assist. And then he helped create another chance uh, in his appearance. So right off the bat, he created more chances in his appearance off the bench, playing as a wide forward, than Ariola did. And then... And, you know, he made more happen than even DK did. And and Roldan, he needed that. Roldan needed that because he did not look good in against Canada coming off the bench. He had an up and down game against Martinique. He didn't dominate against Martinique. So he'd kind of lost some ground there in the in the fight for minutes. So for him to come off, come off the bench and really make an impact against Jamaica, that was huge. And that gives Burhalter something to think about. Because, yes, Roldan can play wide. He plays wide for Seattle. He ha- he's got tons of, of time playing as a, as a wide player, so he can he can fill into into that position. If you don't think Ariola can bring it, if you don't think Ariola is you know 100 percent, or he's just not he's just not in a good place right now because of the injury that he had. And I think Roldan showed enough. I think Roldan showed enough to start as a play to play him out wide, not necessarily play him in the midfield. Although I can see Berhalter doing that. So that that that's my kind of last point on the U.S. Jamaica performance. And look, the U.S. got lucky a little bit, right? Because Leon Bailey obviously had an injury because he didn't play. And he would have made a huge difference. But you know what? It happens. Things happen. Injuries happen. Walker Zimmerman's out for the tournament. So you know what? You deal with it. Credit to the U.S. They rose to the occasion. Hoppy got the goal. And now the U.S. moves on to what will be a much tougher challenge. This Qatar team is legit. This Qatar team scores goals. They attack they have multiple weapons. They have, you know, they're not a one-man team by any means. They have three or four players that can hurt you in their attack. There's a reason they've scored goals in bunches in this tournament. So it's going to be a good challenge for a U.S. defense that has allowed one goal in four matches, and that goal came on a penalty kick. So who does Burhalter start against Qatar? Big question. Big question there. Because there are some interesting decisions to make there. And if you read SBI, you've already seen my projection projection on who Burhalter, who I see him starting, and who I would start. So let's let's break it down real quick. Up top, front three. I think he goes Hoppy Zardis Ariola. I think he sticks with Ariola. I mean, he just gave him the armband. He has that experience. You get him in there. That's why I think Greg Burhalter will start. Now, I, as I said a little bit earlier, I would put Roldan in there. I think he's fit. I think he he can give you that defensive work that you're going to need against Qatar. 
He can slip in the middle. He can help, you know, deal with possession centrally. If you want to slot, you know, shift some things around. So I would go roll down. I start Zardis, obviously. You start Hoppy, obviously. But I would go roll down on the right wing. As far as your midfield three, Leggett is a lock. I think that's a safe bet. He will start. Kellen Acosta is a lock. I think he starts. He's absolutely going to be your number six. He's going to be your defensive midfielder. And now who gets the other spot? Now, if I think he's going to start Ariola on uh, on the right wing, I think he can absolutely go Christian Roldan in his starting lineup. And you might ask yourself, well, what about, what about Busio? Busio played well in the second half. Why do you sit Busio? And there's a couple of things there. There's a couple of reasons why I think I think there's going to be some some shifting around in terms of the uh, the lineup because you know in terms of minutes, in terms of managing workload, in terms of the fact that there's a final. If you win, there's a final just three days later. So ro- a little bit of rotation, I think, is is a healthy thing there. And if you can put in someone who you know who hasn't played as many minutes, but who you believe in and who you think has the quality then I think you should do that. Which is why, for me, I would go with Eric Williamson. I would put Eric Williamson in the lineup. I would sit Busio. I think William Williamson gives you a bit more defensive edge. And I think he can keep the ball. I think he's. I think he would be very effective against Qatar in their midfield. And then you bring Busio off the bench to help you get a goal if you need a goal. Help you get, keep possession if you need to keep possession, but also you allow, it, it allows you to rest him because he has started two straight matches now. So that's something to think about. I would personally go Williamson, but if he starts Busio, I have no problems there. If he starts Roldan and starts Ariola up top on the right wing, I could see that as well. Me personally, I'm giving Williamson the shot because I like what I have seen from Eric Williamson, and I think Eric Williamson can give you what you need against Qatar. And as far as the defense goes. Three of the spots are pretty safe. They're locks for me. Robinson Sands, obviously, they're starting. Sam Vines, he's going to start. He's going to start. Sam Vines has been really, really good in the last couple games, especially against Jamaica. I thought he was solid. thought he was solid against Canada. It's funny because he, you know, he scored the winner against Haiti the first game, and I thought, mm, other than the goal, he was, uh, he was okay. Since then, he's been rock solid. And I know some people want to see George Bello. But I tell you what, folks. Qatar, they have a very dangerous attacking right back. So you're really playing with fire a little bit if by putting in a younger, lesser experienced fullback, left back, to that side of the field when they have to deal with that very dangerous attacking fullback. Sam Vines, I think he's up for that challenge. And then you have right back. Right back, Shaq Moore has started the whole tournament. He's been solid. And I think Berhalter will stick with Shaq Moore. However, me, I'm starting Reggie Cannon. And for two reasons. Number one, I think he's a better defender in in a 4-3-3 as a right back. I think he's a better defender than Shaq Moore. And you need that defensive quality against Qatar. Number one. Number two, as I've said earlier, a little rotation, a little spreading out of minutes can help you give you some fresher legs in the lineup, but also helps you potentially for the final. If you get to the, if you win this game, you get to the final. 
And it really is at this point a coin flip between Moore and Cannon. So why not go with the fresher player? Reggie Cannon has played in a semifinal, in the Gold Cup semifinal. Remember, he started in the semifinal and the final in 2019. So he's played in this kind of game. He This is not going to be, you know, he won't be overawed by the situation. So for me, start Reggie Cannon. And then obviously in goal, Matt Turner, he's your guy. He's been great the whole tournament. He'll, you know, he's been really, really, I don't, I, it's funny. I don't think he does, he gets the credit he deserves because the defense has been so good. The center backs have been so good, but Turner has stepped up and made every play he's had to make every play that's been needed. He's made it. So he's been, he's been great. So he's, he, you keep him in your lineup and you just deal with Qatar. You deal with a Qatar team that is very dynamic. They can burn you on the counter is all the more reason why possession is going to be so huge and not being sloppy and not committing the kind of turnovers we saw against Jamaica. And I'm pretty sure as they're doing film study right now in these in these days leading up to the to the semifinal, I'm pretty sure Greg Berhalter is pointing out some of these turnovers and saying, "Listen, you can't turn the ball over here because if Jamaica, you know, it's one thing you did that against Jamaica, okay, you got away with it, but Qatar, if you turn the ball over in your own third or in your own half, they will take it down the field and they'll put a, they'll put a goal on you. So the U.S. definitely needs to be cleaner, particularly in midfield. And, and for me, do I think they I think they beat Qatar because I think defensively they'll do what needs to be done to contain Qatar. The real question is, will the attack generate enough? Are we going to see another 1-0? I tell you what, I actually think the U.S. is going to score some goals. Qatar's defense has not been great. They allow a lot of space. You can get at them. And I'm sure Greg Berhalter is looking at that and looking at at where Qatar leaves itself exposed. So that, you know, that's, and again, that could be another reason why you could see him going with an Areola, give you a bit more pace than a Roldan. I could see that. But for me, I like Hoppy. Hoppy's huge in this game because of, again, Qatar and what their attacking right back does for their attack. So I'll tell you what, Matthew Hoppy is going to be huge in this game because of Qatar's right attacking right back, Pedro Miguel Correa, who's been huge for the Qatari attack. So we'll we'll see what happens there. He's going to be big. Obviously, Jesse Zardes is going to be big. And as as has been the case all tournament, the center backs will need to continue to put out fires. Miles Robinson is going to need to just be as dominant as he's, as he's been because this Qatar attack can score goals. So we'll see. I think they're going to win. I think I'm honestly I'd probably go 2-1 US. I want to say 2-0, two, two but it's going to be tough to, to put a to post a shutout against the, this Qatar team. So I'll say 2-1 U.S. I think the U.S. ends up winning. I think Hoppy gets a goal. I think Zardes gets a goal. And they're on to the final, where they'll meet the winner of Canada-Mexico. And that's an interesting one. Mexico, you know, pounded Honduras 3-0, as I said they would. No surprise there. But Canada, give them some credit. They beat Costa Rica. They beat a, a tough Costa Rica team in the in the quarterfinal, and they're into the semis. And they're going to give Mexico some problems, I, I think. Now, I know there's been some injuries. Kyle Aaron didn't play in the quarterfinal. I don't know what his status is with this, for the semifinal, but if he can't play that, they'll miss him, obviously. But Canada Canada has some – they're going to have something for Mexico. And look, beating Costa Rica 2-0, I mean, that's nothing to sneeze at. It was a tough Costa Rica team. They they had a perfect group stage, and then, and then Canada shuts them down. 
You have Junior Hoylet do his thing. You had, uh, you know, he scored one of the goals. And then you had Ustakio, the player who, who not so sneakily got himself a yellow card to be suspended for the U.S. game so he could be ready for the quarterfinal. And it worked out. He scored a goal in the quarterfinal, got him into the semis. But this this Canada team is interesting. Got Tejon Buchanan. He's going to be a handful for Mexico to deal with. Again, and, and like I said, when Canada played the U.S., can their defense hold up? Because I think their midfield's solid. I think their 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 strikers can can cause problems, but their defense, I still, you know, I think it's the flaw. But credit to that defense, that Canada defense, uh, you know, shut out Costa Rica, a Costa Rica team that did have Joel Campbell, Celso Borges, Brian Ruiz, although he had to come off the bench. So you get a shout out against that that group. That's something. So I'm looking forward to it. I'm sure everyone wants to see U.S. Mexico. Not everyone. Everyone not from Canada wants to see U.S. Mexico. But U.S. Canada, U.S. Canada would be interesting. U.S. Canada would be interesting. Now, if it's Qatar, Canada, I'm pretty sure some Concacaf officials are gonna, you know, are gonna be looking for <laughs> looking for looking for jobs basically because that that would just be disastrous, obviously. But uh, uh, my money's on the U.S. and my and look, it's a safe bet. You go with you go with Mexico over Canada. But this Canada team is gonna be a handful. So I'm, that's gonna be, I think that's gonna be a very good game. In other U.S. men's national team news, we found out on Wednesday morning where the U.S.-Mexico World Cup qualifier will be played in the upcoming cycle. And it is going to still be played in Ohio, only it will not be played in Columbus. The big news is that TQL Stadium in Cincinnati will be the new home for USA-Mexico after almost two decades of the old Cruz Stadium being the venue in the Dos Acero uh, rivalry, the string of uh, 2-0 wins, which obviously was snapped in the last World Cup qualifying cycle when Mexico defeated the United States. And we kind of knew then that the days were numbered for, for Columbus being the home for that particular match. But I still think it's a little surprising to some people that it ended up being Cincinnati. I know Kansas City had been mentioned in the past as a potential option. I know some folks thought maybe Minnesota. With Allianz Field, beautiful stadium there. But for for a logistical standpoint, you can kind of understand why U.S. soccer would want to keep it somewhat close to the Northeast. Pretty much as close to the Northeast as you can get without actually being in the Northeast. Because once you're talking about New York, Philadelphia, D.C., then you're risking that potential for losing some of the home field advantage. And we all remember USA Costa Rica in New Jersey. All the Costa Rican fans who came out. So U.S. You know, U.S. Soccer, they they want to keep the home qualifiers. They want to keep that home field advantage and have the the pro U.S. crowd. So you have to kind of go away from the the northeast, the, the full East Coast, but you don't want to go too far because obviously, tra- from a travel standpoint, there's still an issue there. U.S. Mexico, November twelfth, in Cincinnati, and just four days after that, it's U.S.A. Jamaica in Jamaica. So if you're if you're U.S. soccer, you, you don't want to go too far west. You don't want you you want to try to cut down to, on the travel as much as you can. So that, you have that, and also look, TQL Stadium is a beautiful stadium. Say what you want about FC Cincinnati and the struggles that they've had as a team, but one thing you can't argue is that the the fan base in Cincinnati has kind of shown itself to be a very vibrant American soccer fan base. Consider it a, li- a little bit of hazard pay for for uh, this FC Cincinnati fans having to endure these er- these early years of disappointment in, in MLS, and now they get this new they get the USA Mexico match, and you know I know people in Columbus are not going to be happy about it. I'm sure they probably thought, hey, we have a new stadium in Columbus. Why are you moving it from Columbus? And just to move it, a, you know, 
down the street, Cincinnati. I get it. I know some Columbus folks are not going to, they're not going to be happy about that. However, it does sound like there's a consolation prize on the way. You have reports uh, out of Columbus. I, I know the massive report, uh, the website, the Columbus Crew website, uh, the Columbus Crew content website uh, is reporting that USA Costa Rica look is looking like it will be in Columbus at the new stadium. And you know what? That's not a bad consolation prize when it comes down to it, because that's an important game. When you think about the matches in the octagonal and the home matches, obviously USA Mexico is the biggest one. But then you could argue Costa Rica is number two, even though this Costa Rica team maybe isn't as strong as past teams. Still an important game. So now that I've given you 40 minutes on the U.S. men's national team and the Gold Cup, uh, we should talk about the Olympics and the U.S. women's national team. And if you happen to be up on Tuesday morning, if you if you stayed up or if you woke up early, I stayed up. Not I didn't stay up for that. I just happened to stay up and be up because I'm a night owl like that. Drank coffee way too late, which is what I did again tonight. Mind you, I'm recording this. It's 5.40 a.m., which means I'm probably going to be editing this thing and have it ready to drop at 7 a.m. And then I'm going to pass out. But the U.S. women... <laughs> Uh, they did no favors to the U.S. fans who stayed up because you needed even more coffee for the snoozer of a game that the U.S. women had against Australia. And for those who missed it, it ended 0-0. And the second half in particular was a game that you could tell both teams were okay with a draw. So it was pretty pretty uneventful, pretty lackluster. And for me, I get it, right? It's all about getting in. It's all about getting into the knockout rounds. doesn't have to be pretty. I get that. I get that idea. But come on. The US, look, the U.S. women didn't look great. They didn't play great by any means. They didn't look like a World Cup championship team. And it's a little concerning because, again, they had that loss against Sweden where they looked atrocious. And, yes, you beat New Zealand. You pummeled New Zealand. Yahoo. The Australia game was the real chance to see could they really put the foot on the gas and show us that World Cup champion level. And they didn't do it. They didn't do it. And who really played to the high level? I mean, I thought Julie Ertz impressed me. Some of her runs at a, at a deep midfield. I mean, she was she was a handful. I thought, obviously, Tina Davidson, the decision to start her, actually, obviously, that was great because she was she was a rock. Kristen Press made some things happen, but the the end product wasn't there. It was pretty terrible, actually, because she would do she would make the easy, the hard part look easy. Then she put herself in positions, but then just have just terrible shots. But you need the, the this U.S. team is going to need to be much better because guess who they play in the quarterfinals now? The Netherlands. And I'll tell you right now, that Dutch team is ready, locked and loaded. And I'm sure they got some revenge on their minds. Because for those who don't remember, the U.S. defeated the Netherlands in the World Cup final. And now you have the Netherlands. The Netherlands just beat China. China's not te- China's not a bad team. The Netherlands beat China 8-2. So, I mean, <laughs> they're a handful. Vivian Miedema, Lika Martens. They've got Van Sanden. They've got, they've got firepower for days. So the U.S., with, at the level that they've been playing, they're going to get smashed by the Netherlands if they, if they don't step it up. The good news is they can step it up. They have a higher gear. We just haven't really seen it. I mean, New Zealand, yeah, you beat up New Zealand. You didn't see it against Sweden. 
You didn't see it against Australia. So now Vladko Adonovsky's got to make some decisions in terms of the lineup. And I'm not going to get into a whole thing about who he starts or doesn't start. But obviously, there's such a deep team, he can go any number of directions. But if you're asking me who I'm putting my money on, I'm putting my money on the Dutch right now, just with the way the U.S. have played. But obviously, the U.S. have such firepower. They have so many superstars that have delivered in big moments before. So how do you bet against them? How do you bet against Carly Lloyd in, a, in, a, in an Olympics? Right? Alex Morgan, Megan Rapino, they have the weapons. The question is, how, how, for me, how will this U.S. defense hold up? Because this U.S. defense has by no means been that impressive in this tournament. Now, obviously, they shut out Australia. Sam Kerr, one of the best strikers in the world, they, they kind of kept her in check. But the Dutch are a whole other story because the Dutch are a, a, a stacked attack. As much as Miedema is their lead player and their kind of biggest name in their attack, they have four, five dangerous players in the attack. So we'll see. The U.S. women, the, I mean, look, if they win this, look, if they beat the Dutch, then you can forget everything else that happened in the group stage. If they beat the Dutch, then it's like, okay, champs are here. Champs are awake now. Champs are ready to go. Now, on the Americans abroad front, a uh, little bit of bad news. Uh, Yunus Musa has, supported, has reportedly suffered a leg injury that will keep him out three to six weeks. And that timetable is not great if you're a U.S. national team fan because that like that potentially rules him out for World Cup qualifying and potentially puts off the chance to cap tie him. And he, and for those who were still kind of unclear on his status and his situation, he has not been formally cap tied. And, you know, kind of the question after the Nations League is, you know, is he ready to be cap tied? Do you, you know, because you get this, you feel like he, he is, you feel like when you watched him, he took part in all the celebrations when the U.S. won the Nations League. He was in all the pictures. He posed with the trophies. He put it on his social media. So you look at all that and you're like, oh, he definitely wants to play for the U.S. He wants to stay with the U.S. But that still made the Greg Berhalter decision not to play him in Nations League all the more of a head scratcher. Because it, it would have been one thing if Musa didn't want to tie himself yet. And then Berhalter went along with that and provided cover for him. Because that's what pretty much, you know, like whenever Berhalter's kind of had to address the why didn't you play Yunus Musa situation, he's kind of danced around it. And I, you know, part of me thought, you know, maybe he had COVID and, you know, he came back from that and he wasn't 100 percent. But my understanding is, no, that wasn't that wasn't it at all. So maybe it was that he wasn't ready to be tied. But I tell you what, when you watched all those pictures, you saw all the celebrations, you saw him enjoy all that. It felt like, look, he's going to be around. And I really thought World Cup qualifying was going to be the opportunity to cap time because he, when he's, you know, when he's in form, he starts for this U.S. team. But obviously, if he's ready to miss it, you know, a month or more, that's not going to put him in a great position for Greg Berhalter come September. And one thing that does, it creates an opportunity for somebody else. And there's several players who are going to want to vie for one of those midfield spots. One name that comes to mind, Julian Green. Julian Green about to return to the Bundesliga with Grutha Firth. If Julian Green gets off to a fast start, has a couple of good games in the Bundesliga, he, f- like, even before Yunus Musa, uh, his injury, I already had Julian Green making the, uh, making the World Cup qualifying roster if he got off to a good start in the Bundesliga. 
But now with Musa hurt, that makes it even more. It's an even. He has an even better chance because you know I, I would say you know do I see Busio being in the World Cup qualifying setup in September? I'm not so sure about that because here's what's going to happen, right? Gold Cup ends. Whether the U.S. wins or loses, Gold Cup's going to end Sunday. Busio goes back to KC, and they finalize the deal for him to go to Venezia, which has been pretty much done for a couple of weeks now. Mostly done. It's you know you got to cross some T's and dot some I's, but let's say he's going to Venezia. He has to go to Italy, win a job, win, earn playing time, regular playing time to put himself in position to be called into qualifying. Now, if he doesn't do that, if he doesn't get that starting job, if he's stuck on the bench to start the Serie A season, which you could totally see happening, is Greg Berhalter going to call him in? I don't think so. I think he's going to go with who's playing. And Julian Green is projected to start for Grutha Frith in their return, in their Bundesliga debut. Bundesliga starts in, what, a week? Maybe it's two weeks. I I think it's two weeks from now. But still, Green's going to have multiple opportunities to show what he can do between now and the time for Berhal to, to select his roster. So, you know, Musa, it's a bummer if he's hurt, right? Obviously. But you have Green, you have Brendan Aronson, another player who, as much as he's played wide for the U.S., he can give you an. He's a good option centrally. And who knows if Eric Williamson? Let's say Eric Williamson does get the start against Qatar and crushes it, gets the start against Mexico potentially in the final, and crushes it. All of a sudden, you're talking Eric Williamson. So there's still a lot at play here. Unfortunately, the bad news is that Musa looks like it's going to be tough for him to be a part of World Cup qualifying, and that's going to put off. It's going to make it an even longer wait to capsize him. And I know people, I know some people are freaking out. I know some people are like, oh, we're going to lose him. He's going to, you know, England's going to, you know, somebody's going to swoop in. Relax, folks. I really, honestly, I get the vibe I get on Musa is the same vibe I got on Serginio Des when Serginio Des was still kind of up in the air. He hadn't made his decision. But for me, I, I thought it was never a doubt. You could kind of feel it, you could feel Des was leaning. U.S. He had those attachments to his teammates coming up in the youth national team ranks. So I, I really saw a desk plan. And, and Musa, similar. He's been part of multiple camps. You can tell he's really, really clicked with this U.S. team. And I think the Nations League experience, as much as he didn't get to play, he still got to experience that. Experience that championship glory or that that feeling, the euphoria of being part of, a, of that, was, which is unforgettable final, by the way. So I think he will eventually get cap tied, but you might have to wait a while. So for those U.S. fans who are freaking out or going to be a little nervous until it's done, you could calm down a little bit. I'm sure you have a reason to be a little worried, but take it easy. And now we move on to MLS. And the headliner in MLS this past weekend was obviously Ricardo Pepe scores a hat trick against the LA Galaxy. And he is on a roll. I think, what does he have? Seven goals in eight matches. And he just signed a new contract with FC Dallas. And as I always say, new contract does not mean, oh, now he won't go anywhere. Now he won't be sold. That's not what that means, people. All that does is give the team more leverage for a transfer. Allows them to ask for more money. When a transfer, when it's time to actually complete a transfer. And, you know, I don't know if anything's... As much as, look, Dallas is a selling team, they're absolutely fine with making a deal if the deal is right. So if someone comes with a good price, they'll sell Pepe. But the new contract does just give them leverage and obviously gives Pepe a bigger payday while he waits for a transfer. So 
But still, Pep, he's just he's on a roll right now, and there's definitely going to be increasing calls for him having a part to play with the national team. And Pepe's obviously one of these players who's a dual national. Mexico, you know, is interested and has been interested. But again, he has to make a decision. And, you know, World Cup qualifying is in September. And if, uh, you know, when you think about the striker options, I mean, you have obviously Sibachu slash Pifak, Sargent, obviously, potentially Zardis. Does Pepe get into camp? If he continues to score like he's been scoring, I think he I think he absolutely could get a call, but it feels a little more like he's a perfect candidate for January. And the question then becomes, is he going to wait till January? Is Mexico is Mexico gonna start, you know, recruiting him? Even harder. We've already seen David Ochoa kind of, you know, now entertain the idea of Mexico. And apparently he's going to make a decision. David Ochoa is going to make a decision pretty soon now. Which is, to me, I got to say, I got to be completely honest. I think it's, I still think it's a little crazy that he's actually considering Mexico. Like, I mean, I understand it on one level, but I think it's part, part of it for me is just having talked to him about it at one point, the rivalry. And he, it just, I can't wait. If he picks Mexico, I really can't wait to hear him kind of lay out the process that got him there. And if there's an issue and if there's something, you know, that he had a problem with, then hopefully he's willing to just kind of be be upfront about it. And with Pepe, Pepe's another one. Mexico, you know, Mexico would love to have him, you know, 18-year-old young striker. I mean, right now that, you know, do they have 10 really, really good target forwards? <laughs> Not really. So, you know, I mean, but look, if you're Greg Berhalter, I mean, if I'm Greg Berhalter, I'm seriously considering bringing him in in September because... If he continues to score, that's a big if. I mean, there's a month between now and then. And then something interesting to note here, so he's got seven goals in eight matches. All seven of those goals have come in Frisco. He hasn't scored on the road. And I think you need to do that. You need to be able to get the goals on the road in a hostile environment. That's another step he needs to take. But look, he's so, it's so much talent. What is he, still 17? Or he might be 18 now. Whatever it is, he's super young. Youngest player to ever score a hat-trick in MLS. Record-setting stuff. And it's great to see. You just love to see another teenager taking full advantage of the opportunity. And some of the results I definitely wanted to touch on. Seattle Sounders lose 3-1 to to Sporting KC. Sporting KC, man, they, they, they're, they're, I don't feel like people are talking about them enough. I mean, you don't have Busio. He's at the Gold Cup, and, and they're just rolling right now. And it's pretty clear that even if and when, not it's not even if, it's pretty much when. When they sell Busio, they're not going to miss a beat. They're not missing a beat right now. That's how stacked they are. And look. Fairness to Seattle, they're missing a ton of players. They're having to play really, really young players. As we saw, they beat Austin with like five teenagers. So if you're if you're a Seattle fan, I don't think you're getting too crazy about seeing them lose to a really good sporting KC team. NYCFC smacked up Orlando City, put the nickel on them. That was a little surprising. As much as NYCFC is really, really showing me a lot, Orlando City, as much as they have had their struggles with results in recent weeks but 5-0 that that one was a little shock a bit of a shocker to me so you know and obviously me it bodes well for nycfc not so well for the lions and then you had minnesota beating portland two to one rally from one zero down to get the two one victory and you know adrian heath uh, he he that's a big one that's a big one for them i think that you know it's been a bit of an up and down year for the loons so for them to get that win against a good portland team i think that that can be the kind of performance the kind of result that kind of propels them into a level you kind of expect them to be 
in the last match that I wanted to touch on, TFC defeats Chicago Fire 2-1. to one. And I'm just, I feel like I said last episode, TFC folks, do not sleep on them. They are creeping back in since they, you know, since they fired Chris Armas, the team has really come together. They've obviously had players come back from injury. Pozuelo's back, so Teldo's playing really well. Josie Altador is obviously out of the doghouse and is, you know, doing his thing. So yeah, there the TFC just beware of TFC is pretty much all what I'm you know trying to get out there. Last thing on MLS, I did want to touch on Mark Anthony K was traded by LAFC to the Colorado Rapids and you know this one might have co- surprised some people but when you look at LAFC and their situation and you know the midfield options that they have with Janela and Cifuentes really kind of stepping up and showing that look they're ready to to kind of continue to be the starting options or to be starting options just got a little crowded there and then you have Mark Anthony K who you know it doesn't sound like he was ready to sign a new deal so if you're LAFC and you can turn around and make you know get a million in allocation money, you know LAFC will do well on the international market. They will use those resources well. And if you're the Rapids, I mean, you got to feel pretty good. You add a player like K because K is a quality midfielder. You add him to you know Kellen Acosta, Cole Bassett. They have Jack Price there, and you can definitely look at this K acquisition and say, well, maybe that's a sign that they're ready to sell Bassett. A lot of interest in Europe in Bassett. Or maybe now there's starting to be more and more interest in Acosta with the Gold Cup that he's having. And I don't know how you you, know, you can't really blame teams. Like if you're a European club and you watch Colin Acosta and you know you can get him for a pretty, you know, pretty good price considering where he is in terms of his age. What is he, 26 now? Whereas like someone like Cole Bassett's, you know, much younger. Was he 20? But point is. When you go out of Mark Anthony K to what is an already or already a very good midfield, it kind of feels like they're positioning themselves because they know they're going to be selling somebody. So yeah, that that's something to keep an eye out for. And I think that's pretty much it. I've touched on everything. I think we're almost at the hour mark, and uh, I'm sure I dragged on. I feel like I dragged on a bit on that Gold Cup segment, and apologies for that. Hopefully you enjoyed that and you've gotten this far. But I think I covered everything I was hoping to get into. Uh, you know, last last the last thing I'll, I'll kind of share with you all is that today is the 18th birthday of Ivis Jr., my oldest son. And I got to say, I'm feeling a kind I'm feeling a way about it. I'm feeling a little, feeling a little sad. Let me share that with y'all. Cause it's kind of like, you know, one minute you're holding this baby in your hand and you're feeling like, you know what? 18 years is a long time. I get to enjoy it, this baby, this child for 18 years. And then you blink and they're a full grown adult. I mean, look, he's still a kid in my eyes, but it's like that. It happens that fast. So you know what? If you have kids or if you're planning to have kids, you have young kids, appreciate it. Appreciate it because it goes by so fast. And sorry, and I'm sorry for getting all kind of sentimental, but. That's how I'm feeling right now, because I'm like, man, where did the time go? So definitely take advantage of that. And uh, yeah, we're going to we're going to, you know, do some celebrating and, uh, you know, spend the day with the with the family. So, uh, you know, I'll be dropping this and we'll, we'll have some obviously we'll have some Gold Cup semifinal preview material dropping on SBI. So definitely stay tuned for that. And I, as I said at the beginning of the show, I'll have a the next episode is going to be Friday morning. And I know some will say, well, yeah, we've heard this before. Well, I'll tell you what, folks, it kind of has to be Friday morning 
because uh, you know I'm supposed to fly to Vegas if all goes well. Uh, you know I'll fly to Vegas Friday morning, and I'll be in Vegas mid you know whatever ten eleven a.m. Vegas time, and trying to do a trying to record a show in Vegas. Uh, I'd rather not do that at least that day. I'd rather you know get knock the episode out Thursday night here in my home studio where I have everything I need. Obviously, I can record on the road as I did when I was on vacation in Florida, but it's not still not the best setup. So I'd rather record Thursday night. So look out Friday morning for uh, for the next episode. And I definitely, as I I've said this before, if you have feedback, if you want to tell me things you like, you don't like, by all means, please go in the comment section on uh, sbisoccer.com. Let me know on Twitter. I know one thing for sure: guests guests are coming. I can listen. I promise you on that. The guests are coming. And I'm kind of at this point waiting for the Gold Cup to wrap up. And then I will definitely put on the machine and we will start. Guests will become a regular part of the show again. Uh, That much I can promise. And there's a lot in the works. There's a lot going on at SBI headquarters. And uh, I I was going to share some of it this episode, but I'm going to wait. I'll wait till Friday. I've got some news in terms of some changes at SBI. And uh, I'll share more about that on Friday. And the uh, month of August is going to be an interesting month. And then heading into the fall, it's going to be more changes. But, you know, the good news is there's just going to be more, more content. It's gonna, you're going to get, you're going to have more, more and more and more content from me. Whether it's videos, podcasts, obviously articles. I'm ra- I'm stepping it up, ramping it up. I feel like, uh, you know... I feel like Avon Barksdale when he uh, when he got back out of jail and he's right. Look, we're back up, and that's kind of where I'm at. I'm back up. I'm ready to get back up. But that's it. That's all for now. Thank you for listening for listening to this entire long rambling episode. And we'll be back on Friday. I'm Ivis Kalarsen. This is the SBI Show.